across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. You might be forgiven for thinking this morning that things are getting worse rather than better. But in fairness, that's what they said would happen, isn't it? 1,564 new deaths, the biggest single daily tally, mortality now higher than the first wave, a new, new variant found in Brazil, and all this despite the lockdown, which is now looking like it's going to be here for a very long time indeed. I wonder how long it's going to be before they start saying that it's actually working and the number of infections and the number of deaths is actually coming down, because it ain't at the moment. Yesterday, I called on the government to get themselves a plan. Today, they're about to launch a 24-7 vaccination programme while revealing... Uh, that over 2.6 million vaccines have now been administered uh, in the country and there are now 21 million doses here ready to go. What that means is all people in the top four most vulnerable categories can be vaccinated by February the 15th. That is surely enough reason to have hope that Boris Johnson can now formulate some kind of plan, as I suggested yesterday, for the lifting of some of the restrictions, particularly on top of the news that people who have had COVID have got 85% protection against getting reinfected. With the numbers of people who have had it reaching the millions, surely we must be heading towards herd immunity. Just like Professor Neil Ferguson said at the weekend. Remember that? 0344 499 1000. Coming up this morning, we've got an awful lot to do. First up, it's Baroness Hoey, who isn't happy about where Northern Ireland has been left by the Brexit deal. Uh, She's asking for the government to sort it out. Plus, we'll ask her what she's making of the COVID policies going on as well. Uh, We want to hear from you, of course, as ever, because you are our eyes and ears. You are the people who have been informing us all this week about what's going on out there in the big wide world, whether or not uh, police are being a bit too heavy-handed whether they're doing the right thing, whether shops are doing the right thing. Uh, do tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods. 0344 499 1000. Later on in the show, we're joined by Sebastian Gorka, former White House aide on the political theatre yesterday in Washington when the establishment attempted to get its revenge on the President of the United States with a second impeachment process. It was a pretty ghastly event all round, I would have to say. Uh, and also, the kind of uh, gloating that was going on uh, in the media was really quite sickening to watch. Helen Dale is also here with an update on the social media censorship row and we'll be telling you why there's more good news for January. It's going to be the biggest month yet for online dating. Yes, that's right. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there are many, many good reasons to talk to uh, Catherine Hoey, uh, former Labour MP, of course, now uh, in the House of Lords as Baroness Hoey. Uh, Let's talk to her right now uh, and find out what it is uh, that is going on in her part uh, of the world. Kate, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I read with some interest your piece in The Telegraph uh, yesterday um, about the situation regarding Brexit, which we'll get to in a second. Let's just talk for a moment about what I'm hoping is a, is a, a sort of a conglomeration of, of some good news. 21 million vaccines in the country, 2.6 million vaccinations already handed out. And now we're told that if you have had the disease, you're likely to be 85 percent immune from it. Oh, that's such a good news, I think, for everyone. We would need some good news. We do. Miserable, drab days. And actually, in Northern Ireland, the vaccination programme is going very well. Um, it's it's very likely to be well ahead, I think, of other parts of the United Kingdom. But, you know, it, we all, we need everyone to get vaccinated in, uh, in the time that's been suggested. And I, I just hope that we don't start hearing scientists then saying that, oh, well, just because you've been vaccinated now, you know, that doesn't really mean that we can't stop some of these um, impositions. Yes. So hopefully, 
hopefully it, it, it is the start of the beginning of something more hopeful for 2021. Well, exactly right. I mean, I was saying this yesterday, that surely with the knowledge that we now have and the vaccinations that we now have and the ability, for example, by the February the 15th, we think, to cover off all of the people who are in the top four most vulnerable groups, there ought to be now a, an ability from the Prime Minister's office to have some kind of a plan, some kind of a roadmap um, to get us out of this. Yeah, I think, I think the Prime Minister probably is feeling that, you know, he has been hopeful so many times uh, and his natural kind of way of working is to be hopeful always and to be positive. Mm. And I think perhaps he want, doesn't want this time to put deadlines on, on something if he knows that you can't absolutely guarantee it but I think most people will expect that when we get through this first up to the middle of February and get through the the layers that he's talked about being vaccinated that there will be some kind of uh, relaxation I just think people will not accept continuing the way it is no I mean people are as you say willing I think to know I mean knowing and seeing the figures as, as they are and you know they are pretty stark aren't they 15 more than 1500 people dying in one day the biggest number so far you know I don't think anybody's arguing about how dangerous this all is. However, um, it is still um, a very, very um, small part of the population that are actually dying from it. Um, and while that's obviously be good to avoid it, um, it may well be that, you know, it's not, it's impossible to stop the spread of the virus in some way, shape or form. Um, and so let's try not to damage absolutely everything else and, and, the, and make the collateral damage of everything else really, really awful. Yes, and, and, you know, no one, no one. And I think that's what's been so upsetting to some people that when they've tried to question some things and challenge just a little bit of the, mm. the, the science or the conceived view of what is everybody agrees with, have has tried to question that, that they're somehow accused of being, you know, appalling, nasty people who want to, who don't recognise the danger of, of, of uh, uh, the virus. And, and that's just so untrue. And, you know, we've got to make sure that when this is all over, we don't use some of the things that have come in and some of the ways that we've started to work to change our whole attitude to free speech and to the whole way that you know that our country normally has accepted in terms of being able to challenge yeah. and challenge authority and challenge government. Yes, absolutely. I mean, even Sir Keir Starmer was at it yesterday in Prime Minister's Questions when he accused Boris Johnson uh, of getting it all wrong. And he said on December the 16th, you said that we were in a pretty good place. Oh, and, and quite rightly, Boris said, well, yeah, that's because we didn't know about the new variant until the 18th of December. I mean, he hasn't got a crystal ball, has he? There are so many people now, and I think, unfortunately, that's something that Sir Keir Starmer has really, really kept doing, going back over mm. in in detail what has happened a few months ago. You know, and yes, there will be a time when all of this will be looked at and presumably cost a fortune to have all sorts of inquiries and, uh, you know, research going into what happened and why somebody didn't do something. At the moment, I think the public want those little bits of hope. And it was really amazing yesterday. I was so pleased at the end of some of the awful news bulletins that started off how terrible things were to then say, ah, there's a little bit of hope because actually in London, perhaps we're beginning to see the, um, you know, going down of the numbers mm. of, of, of people going into intensive care and into hospital at all. So that's, that's what's important. We need some hope yes. in January. 
Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, January's dull enough and the weather's awful enough for uh, for all of us to get depressed at the best of times, never mind, you know, uh, hearing all this bad news. But let's talk a little bit about your piece in The Telegraph because, you know, obviously you've been a great um, supporter of Brexit. You've been a great supporter of Boris Johnson um, and Nigel Farage over time. Um, but your piece suggests that you're not that happy about the way that the, the, the bricks have fallen, if you like, in Northern Ireland, that they haven't quite come out the way that you would have hoped. No, and I think a lot of us did warn that the protocol, that separate agreement that was made with the European Union uh, before we finally left in, uh, in, in at the end of uh, December, mm. um, it, it is now really affecting Northern Ireland. I was always opposed to it. And we have to remind people that it was actually brought in because at the insistence of the European Union and the Irish government, who had this absolute sort of zealot attitude to any kind of economic trading arrangement on on the island of Ireland, in other words, between Northern Ireland and the frontier, which is with a, a foreign country, the Republic of Ireland. Uh, and then to get around that, of course, they then said, because the EU insisted there had to be some kind of uh, border between uh, us and the European Union, and the Republic of Ireland is still in the European Union, um, that it would go down the Irish Sea. And of course, that in a way is just as much a hard border as the hard border they talked about mm. uh, in, in, between Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland. It, it, it is an economic trade barrier. But what what um, has happened now, of course, is that, and we need to get to the bottom of whether it is actually coming from this specific agreement or whether it's just HMRC and our kind of officials being overzealous. Because what we're seeing now is many lorries being stopped because they're carrying different things because it only meant to affect certain types of trade. Mm. Uh, it's because they're, they're stopping lorries, they're stopping sending them back, they don't have the right certificates. And even though the government has introduced a three-month lag on the health certificates for food um, and other um, animal products, um, it's still holding things up. So we've seen a shortage of some, some food in Northern Ireland, but it's more than that. And what I was really saying in my article and I think the, the, the headline, you don't write the headline, but it was talking about, you know, the government having betrayed Northern mm. Ireland. I do think they have they have neglected the, the reality of what this means. And I think for a lot of Conservative members of Parliament who do call themselves unionists, now that the nitty gritty of it's coming out, things like, you know, we can't ban animal live exports in Northern Ireland because we've stayed in under, under EU rules for mm. certain things. You know, there is going to be um, no duty free if you fly from Belfast to Spain. But if you fly from Dublin to London, there would be duty free. So the idea that Northern Ireland is going to be left with the best of both worlds is actually showing that we're going to be left with the worst of both mm, worlds. Yes. My message really was to uh, uh, conservative members, you know, think and look and say, how on earth did you get to a situation where you were prepared to neglect a part of the United Kingdom uh, in order to satisfy and to worry about the threat of violence. You know, we can't run our country on the basis of people threatening violence. No. Um, I'm just disappointed that I think, to be fair to the Prime Minister, and I said it, I think, you know, he was so determined to get Brexit done, and we all were, that that bit kind of got, oh, well, we've, satis we've sorted mm. that now. And now, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost, to use a silly metaphor. Yes. Um, I think we've got to just highlight all these just differences. The guide dogs for the blind is another example. You know, when uh, puppies, now every, every dog coming to Northern Ireland will have to be vaccinated for rabies, which didn't happen before. And so puppies um, that have to be handed over to their new 
trainers because you can't get a rabies vaccination to 12 weeks and then you have to wait another another three weeks before you can move that puppy um you know it, it may sound you know a trivial thing but a lot of these trivial things are adding up to just what i was saying look northern ireland is becoming more and more separated and that's what some people of course want to see happening and yes. i was just giving according to the conservative party this is this is what's going to happen if you don't step in and do something yeah because i don't think there can be any doubt whatsoever kate that basically brussels and dublin together would love to see a united ireland and therefore anything that they can do to move more towards that uh, is something that they would like to do even though the people of northern ireland don't want that in in any way shape or form but a lot of what you've described as well is is what i would regard as kind of teething problems you're absolutely right to highlight it i think and you're right to put these markers down to say look this is this isn't working that's not working but i saw a report on uh, tv last night uh, they were talking to a haulage company and one guy basically said that well you know we've had this truck sitting here for ages because they couldn't find anyone in customs who could come out and identify that the onions were actually onions and you go well yeah. surely there's somebody with a brain that could figure this stuff out exactly and, and and you know there is we have the british because we have a sort of thing about keeping to the rules and playing it fair mm. you know we tend to almost over over um, hype any kind of rule or regulation. And I think that's what um, the, the statement yesterday where Michael Gove was put under a lot of pressure. It was very clear that a lot of members of parliament and indeed in, in, in the Lords too, feel that the HMRC and our officials are actually over, over, um, over egging the pudding. I'm using a lot of metaphors, <laughs> metaphors this morning, <laughs> but um, I think you know what I mean. And yeah. I, I mean, there was an example given yesterday. If I move my my belongings from from England to Northern Ireland, um, then they can check that lorry. You have to now get a customs certificate. Well, I mean that is ludicrous. Mm. We're talking about the United Kingdom. Why yeah. should any of these rules? factors. So, uh, yeah, I do get quite cross about it, I must say. Yes. And I mean, what are you hopeful that can happen and, and where can you go with this in terms of, um, well, you know, is, there, is there a sort of post-Brexit committee that you can go to and say, look, here are a few teething problems because there will be other teething problems. I and mean, we were hearing some teething problems in Scotland. Some fishermen are not happy. There may be one or two teething problems over in, uh, in, in mainland Europe because you can't take a ham sandwich in on your lorry, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, these are little yeah. things, but you're right that, that, that they need Need to be fixed well uh, there is under the protocol a joint committee that michael gove sits on with uh, a representative from the european union and they are meant to sort of work out and and help and change some of these things so i i'm sure they you know i'm sure michael gove is is going to try but i think he needs to know that we're watching every little mm. thing that'll happen and of course there is an article 16 article 16 in the protocol which says that if it, if 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 this is proving to be a, a, a difficulties for economic or societal reasons or trade diversion then we can revoke it so mm. it is ultimately up to our government to actually if this really can't work, be worked out properly and we really do see northern ireland being set apart so differently that it is a threat to the union and the constitution and the act of union and all of that then um, there is that way out that he could actually invoke the invoke Article mm. 16. Yes. Although I suppose that would be probably the last thing that he'll want to do. Yes, he won't want to do that. But but as we've said before, I think, you know, to expect that the kind of the guillotine comes down on December 31st and nothing is then renegotiated ever again uh, was always unlikely, wasn't it? There was always going to be, you know, things that would have to be continu continually discussed, if you like. Yeah, but being positive, I mean, Brexit generally is just... 
it is great to be able to feel once and for all that you know we generally overall in the United Kingdom um, have not seen all the dire predictions of, of, of uh, mm. absolute economic uh, you know falling through the roof the, yeah it, it's, all been, of that it's been terribly yeah, it's been terribly disappointing for the BBC you can see their faces oh, literally falling going <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we won't talk about the BBC. I've got a question about the BBC in, in a couple of weeks because I, it looks like the, the government's going to renege on its commitment to uh, um, make, if you don't pay your licence fee, it's now a criminal offence. Mm. And there was a commitment to make it a civil offence, which to me would at least be starting yes. the, the proper debate about how we the BBC. And it looks like we're reneging that. So I've got a question on that in a, a couple of weeks' time, which okay. will be interesting to see what the government... Yes, we, 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 shall, we shall watch that with, with some interest. Let me ask you about what happened in America yesterday, Kate, because obviously oh. you're a keen uh, observer of international relations, international politics. For me, it was a bit of political theatre, this whole idea that you're going to impeach somebody who's leaving anyway. It just seemed to me to be overly personal, uh, overly political. I don't know what you thought. Well... I, you know, I do think I don't. I, I don't think Trump behaved very well over the whole question of the, the demonstrations, and I think you know he should have called that off. But you know, it is. It does look now that what what is the point other than, of course, I suppose the Democrats are frightened that uh, he will actually make a comeback and that he will want to stand again. And if, if he was properly impeached, he's only been impeached by the one house that would have, have to get yes. two thirds the Senate now mm. and uh, if that happened it would stop him standing again but yeah I think I think the Democrats particularly um, the Speaker uh, Pelosi who yeah. of course inter intervened quite a lot in the uh, Brexit situation as well and yeah. came over to Ireland and sort of basically pushed the Irish into to being much much tougher about the border and all of that so I'm not very fond of her but I think <laughs> she's showing a bit of um, I, I, you know I think she's showing a very personal sort of nasty streak yes. now um, and I think, you know, in the country as a whole, we have to remember that in America, there are still substantial numbers, big, big uh, numbers who support um, uh, the Republicans and Donald Trump. And yes. this will not, in the long term, I think in the long term, this will not be um, something that will, um, you know, the Democratic Party will be able to feel comfortable about that they did the right thing. Yeah, and I'm sorry that the Democrats don't like Donald Trump, and I'm sorry that they are frightened that he might run again, but it's not really their decision to make. You know, he was voted in by a majority of people four years ago. He's still the president until next Wednesday uh, when Joe Biden becomes the new president. And the idea that they can somehow uh, make sure that he never runs ever again, you kind of going, what sort of a country are you running here? Do you want to pick yeah. who it is that people can vote for now? Well, it's this sort of fear of the country, fear of the public, isn't yeah. it? Fear of of, of the public are too stupid. They'll vote for the wrong got, person. Well, we got that on the referendum. Mm. You know, people were wrong. How dare you vote to leave? You couldn't possibly be right. We know better. And I think there's a bit of that in, in the America. But ultimately, you know, these things do, oh, using it again, chickens can home to yeah. roost. I mean, they do actually catch up with you. And I, I think in, in the long term, they will regret this. Um, having said that, I, I've got a feeling that the Senate won't actually get the two thirds, you know, they'll no. they'll step back. I'd be I'd be amazed, and also if if they, even if they get the chance to do it, it won't happen. I'm told until sometime in well into April, because of course uh, there isn't room and time to do it before next week, because the Senate doesn't even sit until Tuesday. So it really does look like a very very kind of spiteful move, and and they'd have to be crazy, I would have thought, to have a trial in the Senate after you know three months or two months after Donald Trump's left. 
Yes, I, I, and that's the way the work's going to work out now with the timings. Mm. But I think, I mean, I think maybe at the beginning Trump should have said that you know he would have gone to the installation. Uh, you know, I know it must it would have been pretty awful for him. It is for anyone who loses, but um, you know that might have helped too. But I, in the end, I think this will you know will fall back on the Democrats, and they will look a bit petty and yes. a bit vindictive. Yes, and I mean, I think it doesn't uh, behoove uh, good things for America in general to have whatever it is that they are about to have. Because for the next four years, Joe Biden um, has got a massive problem on his hands because he's got a divided country. He's got half the, the nation who don't support him, more or less. I mean, it's a bit like the 52-48 question here, isn't it? Where you've got, you know, quite a small division of people who believe two completely different things. Yes, and, and you know, he sometimes he doesn't appear particularly well either. So no. I think he's going to have quite a difficult, uh, a difficult time. But you know, at least they had their election. I mean, it looks like we're going to be in a situation where our elections for the mayor of London and for lots of council elections in the Scottish Parliament could get postponed, which I think is shocking. You know, yeah. we, we we cannot keep postponing democracy. No. <laughs> and, and and you know, it, yes, the pandemic is awful, but if if they can do it and vote in America, uh, I'm sure we can manage it in yes. our very well Well, also, there's a, there's a pretty good chance, according to most people that we speak to, that by May, things will be an awful lot better on the pandemic front, one. But also, Nigel Farage was on with Julia this morning, and he said, you know, what's to stop them if the schools are closed anyway, turning them into polling stations, and letting them open for two or three days at a time, so that people can be socially distanced, they can have enough time to vote over, the, over a period of time. What's the problem? Well, I would prefer uh, generally even in any election that there is more than one day and then you don't have to have that awful sort of so many postal votes. I would like to go back to a situation mm. where you only get a postal vote if you really cannot get out yes. or you know that you have something because I do think the whole postal vote um, way it works is is so open uh, despite all the checks to abuse and yeah. Uh, and I also want to see brought in, as we have here in Northern Ireland, you have to show some identity. Yeah. Uh, it just seems nonsense that, you know, you you need one to get a, a parcel out of the post office. <laughs> I know. It's crazy, but, but isn't you it? you go along and any, say anything about who you are yeah. as long as you get your name ticked off. So I really don't understand that. There's absolutely no reason. And the Labour Party is just being ridiculous going on about how it would affect, um, oh, you know, people I know. I mean, here's the interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, here's the other interesting thing. You can go out to the supermarket and buy a bunch of bananas and hang about in a a queue waiting to pay for them, but you can't go and vote in a very, very easily, um, you know, well-ventilated and socially distanced room to vote. It's it's nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I think there would be quite a loud cry, not from, you know, what what, what we would be called the usual suspects, but from a lot of people who just feel that that's another step too far. Right. Exactly right. Great to talk to you again, Kate. Thank you very much indeed. Baroness Kate Hoey uh, from Lyle Hill and Rathlin there uh, talking complete and utter sense on almost every subject that we talk to her about. Uh, Well, in fact, not almost every subject that we talk to her about, uh, including the whole Trump fiasco, as I call it, uh, that went down last night. Lots of people seem to think that Trump has been impeached. Yes, he has been impeached. However, uh, if he's not going to actually be removed from office, technically speaking, there isn't really any point in it. 
0344 We'll be talking to Sebastian Gorka uh, coming up later on in the show, so you want to look out for that. We'll also be talking to Helen Dale, of course. We are live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. We want to hear from you too, because we want to know what's going on, uh, where you are, what are you seeing, what are you hearing, what are you doing, uh, what are other people doing? Because I'm told that most people now are basically adhering to the lockdown. They're doing uh, what they're being asked to do. Hardly anybody around in Borough Market yesterday. I went in there. Uh, they're wearing masks now when you go in. It's not a massive imposition. Uh, people are doing their best to make a living and I applaud them for doing that and I will continue to support them and I think we should all try and support the businesses that are staying open for the best uh, that we can. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, it's pretty gloomy. I can't see the Tower of London again. Uh, I have to tell you, it was pouring with rain this morning when I came out. Needed an umbrella, needed a coat, uh, galoshes, the whole lot uh, in order to get to work. But I fought my way through uh, and here I am feeling as cheery as I could possibly be. Uh, some breaking news for you. Andy Murray apparently has tested positive for COVID-19 ahead uh, of the Australian Open, according to Sky News. They're saying that he was due to travel to Australia on one of the 18 charter flights laid on uh, by the tournament and organisers, but he's still isolating it. I'm hoping to go later because the tournament doesn't actually start until February. Um, so um, Andy Murray, the latest uh, sort of uh, named person, celebrity, if you like, uh, who's had the uh, uh, unfortunate uh, episode of getting infected with COVID-19 an awful lot of people have of course the football business is still uh, going on remarkably uh, despite the fact that uh, some of the players are still hugging each other uh, and some of them are still mixing uh, in parts of the uh, world where they shouldn't really be mixing uh, but we'll come back to that because right now let's talk to Professor George Lomonosov a virologist at John Innes Centre. Professor George a very good morning to you welcome. Good morning to you, Mike. Thank you very much indeed. A couple of things I just wanted to ask you about. Piece on the front page of the Times today in which they say uh, that COVID victims are gaining immunity, a study which says that something like prior illness provides about 85% protection. That's got to be some good news because I'm assuming, I think we've been told, have we not, that there's in excess of a million people, maybe more than that now, uh, who have actually had the virus. Yes, if you recover from a viral disease or indeed any disease, um, your immune system has a memory of that and uh, you would actually uh, have immunity for a certain length of time. Now, how long that lasts can depend on the disease. Right. If it's something like measles, um, it's lifelong, effectively. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas, you know, we know with things like colds and flu, which we're used to, you can get them again. And a lot of that depends on the fact that the virus can vary. So you'd expect people who recover to have a good range of immunity. Mm. In some ways, you might expect that to be even better them through a vaccine because you'll have made antibodies to all parts of the virus not just the spike protein right. which is a component of the vaccine but the problem is of course if the virus then varies that immunity might not protect you if the strain is different mm. enough yeah and that's an interesting thing isn't it because we're obviously dealing with this new variant currently um, particularly in london and the southeast there's a lot of people dying um, we're now hearing there might be another variant coming from brazil um, is that a kind of endless scenario where the variants just keep coming? Some of them yeah. are less dangerous than others. Yes, basically. I mean, it's like a another day, another variant mm. almost. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happens when viruses multiply. They make you know billions of copies of themselves. And every so often, they'll just make an error at a certain frequency. Yeah. Now, most of those just mean the virus is inactive. Or, and, and those just obviously don't um, carry on. But just occasionally because you're making so many copies, you'll get something which actually makes it better in terms of infecting humans. So what we're really seeing, I think, is the virus adapting to its human hosts. I mean, it started from animals. That's all still the best theory. Maybe bats, maybe through pangolins, 
it's not entirely clear. Um, but then it, it, it adapts to its new host and can spread more quickly and, until it's optimized for it. Mm. And uh, so you keep on seeing these new variants coming up. Yeah. And so what's the answer then? Because unfortunately, judging by what you've just told me, George, um, it could be that we'll be doing some form of lockdown for the rest of time. Well, um, yeah, that would be the gloomy view of it, the gloomiest view. Mm. And uh, But fortunately, the way you can produce vaccines these days, and we've seen it with both the Oxford vaccine and the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, you can respond very quickly to new strains. And you don't have to give a vaccine against each strain individually. You can make... Um, a sort of cocktail of different vaccines. And that's actually done at the moment for flu. I mean, mm. a lot of the vaccines you get are what are known as quadrivalent. Mm. They protect you against four different strains at the same time. And so you could see yourself doing that as you you know what's circulating. You can respond much more quickly than you can with flu at the moment to actually, you know, alter what's in the actual vaccine you get to respond to new strains. Right. And as far as one of the things that I've always wanted to know the answer to, and you may not be able to answer this question, but one people are often saying to me, you know, well, you're always going on about why we shouldn't be uh, locking down forever and why we should be trying to find ways out of the, the lockdown, because I'm one of those who believes that lockdowns are actually quite damaging in a collateral damage sort of way to an awful lot of other people uh, who may not get the virus, but who will suffer nonetheless. Um they always say to me, what would you do then? And I, what I always say to them is I would try and find out where people are getting infected. You know, rather than saying to everybody, you know, don't go out, you know, don't go anywhere near anybody, stay three metres away from everybody. Yes, we know that that will help. But wouldn't it be also helpful to know where people are actually catching the virus in terms of which locations, in terms of which kinds of atmospheres, you know, that kind of thing? I think it'll be extremely helpful. And I imagine we'll um, actually get that kind of knowledge, you know, the more we know about the virus. Mm. Yes, I mean, it's very frustrating because you do think that, well, in this particular scenario, actually there's little or no transmission, where in this other one, which may not be the obvious situation, um, this is the really serious thing. And I think as you, you know, people trace the, the, the spread of the disease, mm. I think we will get a good knowledge of that. And, and, and therefore in future, if we you know, have another um, epidemic of the virus, which I have to say is probably going to be likely, just like we do with seasonal flu, etc., mm. um, we'll know how to be more refined on what we do and, and what actually is important for transmission, what may, really makes a difference, rather than have to be um, a little bit in the dark and just have to, you know, close everything. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you know, because, that was, because that because it's not. I mean, apart from the fact that it's that it's damaging, it's not practical really for for businesses to be closed for the best part of a year. It's not practical for for people to be able to keep businesses going. Um, and I do worry that the damage from that is likely to be a lot worse and a lot far-reaching, a lot more far-reaching, if you like, uh, than what's currently going on. But what about the the figures at the moment, George, as well? Because we're told there might be a bit of a leveling off in London. But what I've seen in the past six months or so is that when it seems to die down slightly in one area, it kind of boot, it spikes up in another. And it looks like, I think, in Liverpool at the moment, it's increasing. Yeah, it seems to go in waves yeah. like that. Um, you know, and, and remember that around the autumn time, it was really bad in the northwest. Um, and then it sort of rolled like a wave to the south. Yeah. I'm not sure, literally, sort of did that's how the infection spread, but that's what it appears. And now it seems to be almost coming back again um, to the northwest. Um, and and uh, the problem is, one of these very frustrating things, the moment you start easing stuff, because you're doing better, it often comes back as a result mm. of that. Um, and so you just have to yeah, but we haven't thing. eased anything, have we? I mean, there is no easing of anything really since November. No, no. I mean, there was, but there was this slight thing over Christmas, 
Um, yeah. I know there was. I mean, was, I mean, I, I was. I knew a lot of people. A lot of people I spoke to. A lot of people who rang my show, um, who said that well, we were planning to do something, but we're not now. And I think that happened to a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sure a lot of people revised their plans, but some people had already committed or mm. already there, had already travelled. Mm. Um, and so uh, it's also happens to coincide with the worst time for the spread of respiratory diseases. Yeah. I mean, this kind of cold damp weather, which is personified exemplified today is exactly the kind of conditions which promote the spread of these things mm, exactly right so what's your sort of uh, prognosis would you say for the next couple of weeks i mean um if we are to see uh, a slight reduction in the numbers of deaths and the number of infections the number of hospitalizations where does that leave us because i mean it's i think we're all struggling now to see what the strategy is well i think what i'm the very tentative signs of, of the flattening because there's that horrible spike in the last you know, week or so ago, mm. and that maybe there is a sort, sort of beginning to flatten off, although, of course, that doesn't refer to deaths, which are always that lag behind. Mm. Um, so the really horrible numbers yesterday. The um, So uh, I think we probably will see a flattening, maybe a slight reduction in certain areas, the highest rates. And as we go into the spring, but now that seems a long way off, especially on a day like this, um, you uh, hope to begin to see the effects of improved weather, but also the numbers of people being vaccinated beginning to have an effect on the rate of spread. Because as you increase the numbers, obviously the virus can't move as readily through the population. Yes, and supposedly we've got 21 million uh, doses of that uh, of vaccine now, which is, which is good news. But testing is another question uh, that I'm going to end with, Professor. Um, people are asking, how is it possible to test for these different variants? Do they all show up on the same tests? And apparently there's a lot of mass testing of, of say, kids that was going to be done at schools, uh, which obviously is now not being done. Yes, I... I, I Get a bit confused about what's you know what the plan for testing yeah. is and how it's going to be done. I can't quite follow that. Um, the PCR test, you know, the gold standard we've heard so much about, that will work with anything, and and you can and, and if you have to adjust it, that's almost trivially easy. The antibody tests, in theory, um, could be slightly more problematic because you're looking for protein, and that could change a bit. Mm. Um, but uh, I think the tests will generally work okay. I, I think the stuff about testing in schools is more a sort of deployment issue than a scientific one. Mm. I'm not quite sure what's happened there. Yeah, I mean, well, my, my understanding is, is that because most kids are not at school, no, there's no point in running the testing systems. And while there are children there at the moment, they're all just either the, the children of key workers or they're vulnerable kids. So it wouldn't be fair just to test them. I think that's the logic, um, but I'm not really very clear on it. And it seems to me, um, uh, obviously, that there's not as much testing going on now as there is vaccinating going on, which I, I suppose is normal. Yes, I mean, it, it, uh, yeah, and that, although things are coming about travellers um, as well coming into the country. Yeah. Um, of course, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation about the schools that it's going to be more difficult to get people back if there's no testing. Yeah. So, so you need to have the sort of the ability to test, even if you're not actually testing because there are not many children there. Yeah. Wouldn't it make more sense just to vaccinate the teachers? Well, that, I think, you know, this should be one of the higher priorities, yeah. very much so. Um, of course, everyone, lots of people want to be higher priorities, but people who are engaging by the nature of their jobs with others need to be higher mm. because that's obviously one route yes. um, of spread. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're teaching a, a, a classroom of 30 kids, you're probably higher up the list than I should be sitting in a studio on my own. Yeah, or like myself. I mean, I'm not interacting <laughs> with anyone apart from on Zoom. Yeah. Um, so, 
and I know we've heard of computer viruses. But <laughs> yeah, we haven't yet been uh, we haven't yet been scared enough into believing you can catch it over the internet. Well, Professor George, thank you very much indeed, George Romanov there, uh, who is of course a virologist at the John Innes Centre. There's a lot of questions, and I'm sure you might have some. Uh, in which case, do put them to me, and I will put them to other people. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, time to say a very, very good morning in America to Sebastian Gorka, uh, former strategist of President Donald Trump and host of the America First podcast. Sebastian, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Can I just say, uh, in the last 30-second intro, you did more real journalism than all of the mainstream media in the UK. I'm sorry, that was pretty uh, epic. Well, thank you. Listen, it's the truth. You know, yeah. there is absolutely no way um, that the impeachment process makes any sense unless it is launched in order to remove somebody from office. And this clearly will not remove Donald Trump from office. No. So people need to understand that, you know, the, the, this this uh, this boogeyman phrase of impeachment doesn't actually mean anything. The impeachment process is the lower house of mm. Congress. It is the, uh, the the charging of an incumbent president. Actually removing him from office takes a supermajority vote in the Senate. We are six days away from the inauguration of Biden, and the Senate is in the hands of the GOP for the time being. They're not even going to table a Senate hearing, so it's not going to happen. This is a farrago. It's a farce. And, and let me just give you the historic context for what happened yesterday. There have only been a handful of impeachments in the history of our republic. The first one was Andrew Johnson at the end of the 19th century. Mm. It took 83 days to impeach him. Okay, 83 days. Clinton, it took 37 days to impeach him. The first impeachment less than a year ago of Donald Trump took 21 days. Yesterday, Nancy ramrodded through an impeachment in eight hours, before which she said, we're not going to have the constitutionally required committee hearings. We're not even going to hear evidence because we don't need to. That's banana republic. When you have a trial and you say, no, we don't need to hear evidence and we're going to do it in eight hours. This has nothing to do with reality. This is just spite. This is just political theatre. Yes, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. And as I watched it, I could see that that was the case. And I mean, without wishing in any way to diminish what happened last week, um, it was terribly boring as well. I was watching these speeches one after another. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm thinking of storming the Capitol just to get them to shut up for five minutes because <laughs> it's so dreadfully dull. But, you know, this idea that they think that they have the right to withdraw a candidate from the American voting public. 74 million people voted for this man. They're trying to say we don't want him to ever run again. I mean, how do they have that right? Not, not only that, you have USA Today, which is, you know, a, a big tabloid here mm. in, in, the, in the U.S., where they wrote an article to, two days ago where they said we need to impeach the president after he leaves office 
so that he doesn't get secret service protection, so that he doesn't get his pension, and so that Melania doesn't get his pension. Mm. And think about, think about the demented derangement. You want the president of the United States to leave office without protection. You don't have to agree with him. You don't have to vote for him. But I want Jimmy Carter yeah. to be protected from crazies. Yeah. I want Clinton to be protected from crazies. This is this is this is truly the highest pitch level of Trump derangement sy syndrome. And not only that, let's look at the charge. There was one charge. It was uh, inciting his followers to violent insurrection. Yeah. Two things with that. I, I taught irregular warfare for six years for the Defense Department, and I challenge anyone, anyone in the UK or the US, give me one example in world history in the last 6,000 years of an insurrection being implemented by unarmed civilians. Yes. Just one. I'll wait. And of course, Second, uh, sorry, go on. And secondly, the, the speeches, I was there in the front row at the ellipse of the White House for the president's speech last Wednesday. He said, please, march peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol to support your congressman. That's the clip I've been playing on my radio show every day. If he had actually incited anyone to violence, don't we think the clip of that sentence would be playing nonstop on the mainstream media? It isn't because he didn't. Right. And yet the other clips that are not played very often on mainstream media from the Democrats over the course of the summer, which you've mentioned many times on the uh, on this show and on your own show, uh, where Black Lives Matter protesters were encouraged uh, to stand firm, who were encouraged to uh, to, to take to the streets who were encouraged effectively um, you know to take on the police in whichever uh, city of, of, of the nation that they were in you know everybody seems to have forgotten about that as well not only that the prior to the the violence of last year we've had more than eight years of the Democrat Party normalizing violence we, we have the video we have the audio we have Maxine Waters congresswoman from california who says if you see a member of the trump administration in public harass them she actually said that mm. at a public event we have the attorney general of the united states for barack obama who said if 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 they go low you kick them referring to republicans and then before thanksgiving when he was in office obama actually said if your neighbor is a republican and you start talking politics with them. He said, get in their face. Now, there's no there's no Republican politician who says, kick them when they're down, mm. get in their face and harass them in public. One party has started to, to, to normalize violence. And it's not us conservatives. It's the Democrats. And the sad thing is the Democrat Party of your dad, of your grandfather, the Democrat Party of JFK. It's dead. It has become a radicalized fringe party. Mm. Which is terribly unfortunate, but it began, of course, um, in the Clinton era, carried on through the Barack Obama era when Joe Biden was in the White House, overseeing one of the biggest bombing raids of the whole world, right? Donald Trump went to war with absolutely nobody, and yet he is described as the warmonger versus Barack Obama, who bombed half of the world. Again, don't take our word for it. <laughs> Check it out. In one week, in Obama's tenure... In one weekend, he authorized bombing runs and drone strikes on eight countries in the Middle East and North Africa. And we voted 63 Amer million Americans elected a man who said no. He actually campaigned on no more stupid wars. And, and he's brought our troops back 
and he hasn't started one war in four years. And I guess that's why he has to be punished by the powers that be in, in, in the establishment quote-unquote elite. I mean, there's no question in my mind, Sebastian, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, that this is the revenge of the establishment. They hated Trump from the beginning. You know, yeah. Donald Trump is not everybody's cup of tea. I'm not going to pretend uh, that I like everything that he's done. You're a great supporter of his. You're a personal friend of his. I expect you to, to defend him to the hilt. But I don't always defend him to the hilt. But I'm rational and I'm reasonable and I understand that the way that he operates uh, is sometimes a little bit over the top. However, you know, he shook up Washington, D.C., uh, he didn't quite drain the swamp. But what I was watching yesterday made me quite sick for what is laughably called democracy uh, in any country, because that's not what it was. No, it, it was a travesty. It was an abortion. It, it truly, you know, I had a caller call in the show yesterday and I, I'm going to credit him. So Doug said the following. He said, this second impeachment should be worn by the president as a badge of honour. And I fully agree. Why? Because what we saw yesterday was the political establishment for who they really are. What happened yesterday is why we elected Donald Trump four years ago. It's why, stunningly, again, this is what the mainstream media won't talk to you about, uh, in November, 10 million more Americans voted for Donald Trump than they did the first time, despite four years of calumny, libel, being called a Nazi, a white supremacist. And he went after the swamp. He didn't manage to drain it, but he has shown them for who they are. And my, my conclusion yesterday, I, I was really worried for the president after last week's events. Mm. I know he didn't cause it because the rioters arrived at the Congress 40 minutes before he finished speaking. So the idea that he incited it is just, you know, unless you've got a time machine, it makes no sense. But I was worried. I thought the president's going to have to get out of politics completely for a year or two and just chill because of what happened yesterday and what happened last week. After yesterday's travesty, Mike, I think he can get into politics straight away yeah. because they have martyred him and they have shown themselves for who they are. So uh, right now, the GOP, the Republican Party, is more Donald Trump's than it has ever been. And guess who we have to thank for that? Crazy Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> the Speaker of the House. Yes, and this is also what I was warning about last week because, I mean, I, I was given all sorts of flack uh, on social media because of, uh, of what I've said about Barack Obama. I don't know whether you saw. Um, but basically, um, I said Nancy Pelosi will be making a massive error uh, and Nigel Farage was on Julia's show this morning saying exactly this. She made a massive error uh, by doing this because she has martyred Donald Trump. She has ensured um, that his supporters will be even more now determined to try and get him back into the White House. And he's not going away. He is. Look, I, I, if I know anything about my old boss, my, my new current boss, this is a man who is not going to go quietly into the night. This is a man who has transmogrified, transformed politics, not just here, but, but globally. And look, Nigel should know better than anybody else. He started it with mm. Brexit, whether it's Modi in India, whether it's Brexit in the UK, or whether it's Trumpism and the MAGA movement in the US populism that goes against the grain of the entrenched establishment interest who really let's be honest you know it doesn't matter whether you're a tory or whether you voted for for for, for corbyn you know, at the end of the day the establishment really hasn't represented the people in decades and that's why we're witnessing what we're witnessing and and, and again how is it that four years ago 
for the first time in our republic's history, for the first time since George Washington, we elected somebody who wasn't a retired general and wasn't a politician. Mm. That's a message to the world, and it's as powerful as Brexit. And I guarantee you, Donald J. Trump, he's not going anywhere. He's, yes. he's going to leave the White House because he believes in the Constitution, unlike some people but he's not going anywhere politically, Mike. And you said on the, your show a couple of days ago that now the rebuilding begins and the fight back begins. So what does that mean for you? What does it mean for, for the Trump movement as such? What does it mean for his supporters? What are you going to do? Two things. So, so there has to be a groundswell effort to turn the GOP into a populist uh, party that represents the working class, represents all Americans of any skin color. And that's going to I tell my callers who say, what, what are you going to do? What, what can I do? What can I do? Run for office locally. The best thing you can do, whether it's a local school board, is run locally. Secondly, after the events of the last six days, Mike, I mean, it's 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 a travesty. Social, so the, the fascists of Twitter, Donald Trump had uh, nine, 90 million followers mm. and they shut him down. And they say the video in which he calls for peace was inciting violence. We, we have to create a conservative ecosystem of social media. Mm. We have to have uh, the messaging system. We have to have a, a social media platform. We have to create more uh, TV stations and radio. We, we, and, and the beautiful thing is we have an amazing opportunity. Almost 80 million people voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. That's a lot of customers. That is a lot of customers. And I mean, there was some talk that if he didn't win uh, this time around, he might set, set up his own channel uh, to possibly rival Fox. That might happen. I mean, it's going to be a very interesting time. Also, what we, we people forget in this country is midterms come around very fast when you're a new yeah. president. And in a couple of years time or less, probably in a year's time, campaigning for those uh, midterm elections uh, in in Congress are going to are going to be happening. And I mean, I've already predicted that Biden will be one of the worst presidents the United States has ever had. Um, so, I mean, what's he going to do with himself? Because, you know, we hear that there's going to be all this left wing stuff that they want to do. But what do you think his first kind of six months is going to be like? Well, look, he promised a mask mandate. We're going to be you know, suffering just like you guys. Yesterday, just a little tidbit. Nancy Pelosi ordered every congressman and woman to wear a mask for the first time in Congress, even if they'd had the coronavirus. I mean, it was I, I was texting with, with one of the, you know, the, the GOP leaders. And yeah, she says we're not allowed. We, we will be fined if we don't wear a mask as representatives of our, our constituents. So we're going to see craziness like that. But I guarantee you right now he won't be in office for the first year. Mm. I mean, you know, if we know he's senile. You know, you just watch him. Uh, we know that he said publicly, if I have a disagreement with Kamal, I'm going to invent some ailment and I'm going to step down. So they won't even invoke the 25th Amendment. He's going to be out of office. Kamala's going to come in. But I, but also, very interesting, for all the doomsayers, I'm trying to calm down conservatives. Mm. Having a 50-50 split in the Senate means they cannot ram crazy stuff through. Every time there's a, there's a tie-breaking vote required, Kamala Harris is going to have to get in her limo from the White House, go to the Senate and cast the tie-breaking vote. Uh, when Obama came in in 2008, he had a 10-seat majority in the Senate. He had the House and, of course, the White House. And the only thing they ran through was Obamacare. So this idea that AOC's Green New Deal and, and making you know Puerto Rico a state is going to happen in the first week. Sorry, guys. Yeah. It's not because there are some, not, a couple, not many, 
but there are a couple of normal Democrats left, and they're not going to go with the crazy agenda. So Biden's going to be ineffectual. He's going to be out before the end of the year, and they're going to be limited in what they can actually do in terms of harming this nation. Mm. And what about the likes of those um, um, congr congressional members who voted against President Trump, like uh, Cheney's daughter uh, and one or two other Republicans? And also, has Mike Pence kind of made up with the president because he refused to carry on with that 25th Amendment nonsense? Um, I don't think there's much love lost between uh, Mike and the president. <laughs> um, I, I think that's going to take a while, a while to, to mend. Um, but no, the fact that you know, he couldn't overturn the election, but he could have done in his constitutional mandate, he could have sent the dubious results back to the state houses for recertification. He refused to do so. And, mm. and, and the president's not going to forget that for a while. With, with the 10 congressmen and women who voted as, as Republicans to impeach the president yesterday, um, I, I think in the midterms, in two years' time, uh, I think they're going to be primaried by conservatives, and I think their political careers are shot, Mike. Yeah. And as far as the whole kind of um, calming down, I mean, Donald Trump's speech yesterday, which made it onto Twitter via the White House account, I think so far has had nine million views. Very, <laughs> very statesmanlike. I mean, some people said, well, well, he should have made that speech last week. I'm not one of those. But it was very statesmanlike. He called for calm. Uh, he called for all sides. You wouldn't believe this, by the way, but Sky News last night was being critical of him uh, for calling for calm from all sides, as if, you know, that was somehow the wrong thing to be saying, right? Um, but, you know, he can be um, a, a very impressive politician when he wants to be. It's almost annoying that he sometimes does <laughs> what he does just to wind people up. I mean, it's what I do, but I'm only on the radio. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, Mike... He, the fact is, he's not a politician. That's right. why we elected him. And, and God bless him for not acting like one of these mealy-mouthed, Janus-faced, yeah. you know, scumbags who say one thing and then mm. they don't mean it. So yesterday, you know, we want... Look, Biden has promised, he's been, last few weeks, peace and unity, peace and unity. Whilst his party is literally, AOC, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, is making lists of Trump supporters, while the mainstream media, including Forbes magazine, which blows my mind, mm. is saying that big companies in the US should make blacklists of people like Kayleigh McEnany, the president's press secretary, so they never get a job That's in America amazing, again. It? It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, you know, they call for peace and unity and they want to make it impossible for you to earn a crust to feed your mm. children. That's not how you create peace and unity. And banning, banning the president of the United States from Twitter, well, guess what? That's not going to bring peace and unity. So the, any peace and unity that comes to America is going to have to be built by us, the rational people on the right. And, and let's also look at the facts. For the last 10 months, we have seen $3 billion worth of damage done to America by BLM and by Antifa. We have seen 30 Americans murdered, including police captains like David Dorn. We've seen 700 law enforcement officers injured in the riots. Back then, the Democrats said, well, that's fine because that's social justice. Mm. So the, the, the transparent double standards are also becoming apparent to more and more people who may be apolitical and may say, well, you know what? The Democrats, they're just hypocrites. So I, I agree with you. The next two years are going to get very, very interesting. They in really are. Final question to you, Sebastian. And it's been a pleasure talking to you as ever. Um, when does Donald leave the White House? Because if he's not going to go to the inauguration on Wednesday, 
I presume he's just going to leave at some point, maybe on Tuesday, but it's not very easy to sneak out of the White House, is it? I mean, <laughs> presumably he's going to be in Marine One, taking off to the to the airport. Um, what, where, how's that going to look? Where's it going to, when's it going to happen? Uh, I, I think you're right. I think it'll probably happen. I don't have any inside scoop yet. I don't think they've decided. And even if I did, I couldn't tell you. Uh, it's probably going to be Wednesday. But but right now, D.C. is is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, th- they have deployed more troops, more National Guard, because the, the, because the left are so scared now and they're so hysterical. We have more National Guards in D.C. than we have in Baghdad. 20,000 uniformed officers with their guns mm. have been demanded by Nancy. And so th- this city is a ghost town and they, they've basically shut down every street for blocks and blocks and blocks around Capitol Hill and the White House. So, you know, th- there's nobody here to witness anything. The mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser, for the first time in American history, has said, don't come to the inaugura- inauguration. We want to have a virtual inauguration. Biden's going to be there with his clique, but that's about it. And I expect the president, good for him. I wouldn't go to the inauguration after what happened to him in the last two months in America, after what happened to him in the last four years. So, yeah, I think it's going to be Marine One. It's going to be Andrews Air Force Base. It's going to be Air Force One to, uh, to Mar-a-Lago in Florida and a well-deserved rest for the president until he gets back into the political saddle in the very near future. Brilliant. Well, if you see Nancy Pelosi on your travels, you can tell her that she's made it onto our Plank of the Week list this week uh, at Talk Radio. So. Can, can, you, can you give her a gold one, please? Give Certainly. Her a gold one. Well, I mean, you know, she's got so much money. I couldn't believe when I checked up her, her, uh, her net worth the other day. She's got about $150 million dollars. I mean, incredible, isn't it? It's great to be a politician but, in, the, in the United States of America. That, that's why she drinks, she eats $100 per gallon ice cream and keeps it in her $24,000 yes. fridge and then, then brags about it on TV. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Sebastian, great to talk to you. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Uh, Sebastian Gorka reporting into us from Washington, D.C., uh, which, as he says, uh, looks like a war zone right now. There are more troops there uh, than they've got in Baghdad. Extraordinary times in the United States of America. But listen, You won't hear an interview like that on any other radio station. I'll tell you why. Because everybody else hates Donald Trump. And all they want to do is talk to you about how he's going to lose his pension. He's going to be in prison. Uh, He's going to end up as a man who'll never be able to run for office again. I don't think so. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.